0: His love never gives up on me. It never runs out on me. Well, we are in the midst of our series. Uh, Brother Trey so masterfully set us up last week with the amazing sermon from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And today we're going to talk about this incredible love of God and how it should impact us in a very real way to love one another. Now, next week we're going to talk about a topic we rarely hear about. And yet it deals with love. And that is tough love. Tough love. That God loves us enough sometimes to love us in a very, what we would call, difficult way. You won't miss next week. Because, again, we don't teach on it very often. And finally, the last week, um, I'm sorry, next to last week, and the last week in February, we're going to talk about the fact that we have a love, sticky love, a love that will not let us go. That we, now listen, listen, because some of y'all wrestle with this. Can God stop loving me? Can God stop loving me? We're going to talk about that. And I promise you, he can't. And he won't. He can't and he won't. And then, March 5th, we're going to carry it over one, more, one Sunday into March because I just thought it was so important. We shared a message on the Baptist Hour and on a Wednesday night that I want to bring to you because it really describes who we are. It sets up, it sets up our season of prayer and giving for the Annie Armstrong offering. That's on March the 5th. And talks about again the love of Christ compelling us. Now, I'm talking a lot, but but Dale didn't take his full ten minutes. So we got like tons of time, you know? So so here's then thank you, Dale, for doing that. That's awesome, dude. So here's the other part I want to share with you. Now, starting next week, for the next two weeks on February 19th and February the twenty sixth. We're going to have a display set up under the mirror over there where the bench is, and uh, it's going to be for Kim and Chris Keating and their ministry to, I'm going to say it probably wrong, but Girona, Spain, okay? It's to Spain and, and the Catalan people, and uh, we're going to have a cool display set up there, and they're going to be manning that table, and uh, so I hope you'll stop by next week. I told them to be like hawkers and grab you. Okay? And they're going to have some literature and some information and just let you see what's going to go on in their ministry in Spain. And then on the 26th, and it really ties in nicely with eternal love because that's the love they want to take to Spain. um, Chris and I are going to have like an interview thing on the stage as part of the message, as far as the setup of the message. And so that's on the 26th. So you be sure when you see the display next week on the 19th and 26th, be sure and take time um, to stop by and see all of that that's going on uh, in their lives and in their ministry. We want to give them a good love hug and and help them any way that we can. So anyway, how's your love life? How's your love life? Yeah. Well, here's the deal, you know. Mine started out young. Mine started out young. Um, I I fell in love um, when I was eight years old. Um, You know, love is a many splendid thing. You might as well start young. You know? So, so, anyway, I started. We didn't have kindergarten. I, I remind you that my wife didn't even wear shoes to school in South Georgia until like, she was like the third grade. I mean, you know, the, you got to live in the South to really appreciate it. So, so, we didn't have kindergarten. My first experience with school was first grade, man. And we jumped in there, and I walked into that room, and there she was, Mrs. Jones. And me and Mrs. Jones. Had a thing going on. Well, at least I did, anyway. I, I need to find the picture, but here's how I met, How I remember her. She was tall and slender, and had that ninth, early '60s little bob haircut that tucked under her ears. And she was beautiful, and I was madly in love with her. And yes, Brent, I did the eraser thing, you know. Mrs. Jones, can I clean your erasers? Mrs. Jones, can I sh- I'd done anything for Mrs. Jones. Can we sharpen your pencils? It was a wonderful thing. Until something happened. I began to understand what Mrs. meant. <laughs> me and me and Mrs. Jones did not have a future. So I looked around the classroom, and there my second love was. Her name was Cheryl Bernard. And Cheryl, I, I can see her now. She had shoulder-length hair that would turn up a little bit. She's one of those prissy girls that mama dressed up right for school. She would take her hair and flip it up. She always wore a bow right here. And she had this, this cutest little nose you ever saw. And since I couldn't have Mrs. Jones, I decided I would just fall in love with Cheryl. And I did. And I was in love for the first grade. And I was in love for the second grade. And I was in love for the third grade. And here's the honest truth. I can tell you that Mrs. Jones was my first grade teacher. I can tell you that Mrs. Webb was my second grade teacher. I can tell you that Mrs. Wilson was my third grade teacher. I do not remember the fourth grade. I think Cheryl left. I was so emotionally distraught that I had this blank in my life. I pick it up with fifth grade class with Mrs. Slappy. That's the name you want to have. And then, of course, Mr. Perry, my first guide teacher in sixth grade. So me and Cheryl, and I'm sure as mutual, she never said so, but I just feel, I could feel the, I could feel it just bouncing off of her that she felt the same way. It's kind of like Charlie Brown and the little red-headed girl. You know, it's just like that. It really was. And then one day, Cheryl just faded from my life. I'd say fourth grade. I didn't see her again until I was a senior in high school. And um, age wasn't kind to Cheryl. Uh, she was a lot cuter in the first, second, third grade than she was as a senior. But anyway, that, that's another story for another time. But, but here's the deal. Here's the deal. I think I know the reason why Cheryl and I did not become you know, this mad thing. Probably the reason I didn't marry Cheryl, okay, is, is first off, I was eight years old. You know, it's, that, that, was the, that was the biggest blocker to, to marrying Cheryl. But the second blocker was this. Linda Laney. Linda Laney was Cheryl 's best friend, and Linda Laney did not like Dwayne Taylor. I mean, she like ran interference for three years, And, and I never could have fully experienced Cheryl 's wonderful, deep love because Linda Laney ran blocker for me. Now, by now you've got to be going. Holy moly, where is this going? Has he finally gotten so old he can't do it anymore? No. Because you see, I don't know about Cheryl Bernard's love for me. But I want to tell you that because of God's incredible love for us, we can have a thing going on. God really does love us immensely. And I honestly believe that if, that if we could, and I don't think we do it well, but if we could fully understand that love that God has for us, it would so change how we live. It may even change our eternity. But like Cheryl Bernard had a blocker, I had a blocker through Linda Laney keeping me from Cheryl, so many of us have a blocker from God's love. It may be something your mom and dad told you when you were young, that God wasn't real, that God didn't exist. Maybe you went through a circumstance and and you said, God must not love me, must hate me. Or maybe you just have a difficulty understanding love. Whatever it is, we all have a Linda Laney in our lives sometimes, and we don't understand and grasp the love of God. And the whole purpose of my time with you this morning is to help us understand the depth of God's love. Now, as you learned, and I hope you remember, from Trey last week, he taught us that love has three different words. We have an eros love, which is a love between a husband and wife. It's a physical love. And then we have phileo, which is a brotherly love. It's a kind of love you have for your pal. And then you've got this agape love, which is a dying, sacrificial love. And that's really the word that's used um, in our scripture today in 1 John chapter 4 is that agape-type love. But what I want you to see is is that John takes us deep, deeper and deeper. Just like there are three words for love, this, this love thing that, that John talks about goes deep deeper and deep. And I really hope that through the Holy Spirit, we'll be able to grasp exactly what that means. So take your Bibles, please, and look at 1 John chapter 4, verse number, sorry, verse number 7, and we're going down to verse number 11. 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 7. Now again, keep it in mind, we want to discover today how much God loves us and how it should impact. Our lives here 's how it starts out now now excuse me if we go word by word this first, first verse particularly, because again it 's just, it's just loaded with meaning. He starts out again, this is the new King James if I remember correctly. Um, it starts out with the word "beloved," and you might say, well why, first off it 's an old word, and, and why is it so important? Well, beloved means one who is experiencing love, one whom love is being placed upon. One whom love is being placed upon. So John is saying you are people. He's speaking to people who have experienced a deep kind of love. And here's what I'm sure of. Now listen carefully. The more we understand the depth that God loves us, um, the more we experience the depth of love that God has for us, the greater the impact on our lives. Now, again, if you're kind of like your pastor, you're kind of like some people you might know, some people do this very well. Some people are able really to embrace love easily. And some of us feel so unworthy that we have a difficult, difficult time grasping the love, whether it be from our spouses or our children or even from God. But John says the first thing you need to understand, congregation, is that you are a people whom, whom God has bestowed love upon. You are love. Say that with me. You are loved. And you are. And you're loved by the eternal God of the universe. So here's what he says. Beloved, let us love one another. So the first thing he says about people who have experienced your beloved, you've experienced this great love, it should be somehow natural for us that we should love one another. And, And radically, radically, as Dale even said today, not only love those people that are easy to love, but like Jesus said, even love your enemies. Wow, how incredible is that? Let us love one another. Because you're about now saying, yeah, but that's like John. You know, I know John. He walked with Jesus. And John, you know, but I I want some real authority here. Well, in John 13, 14, okay, here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you. Here's what he said. That you love one another. So John, John teaches us and says, hey, let us love one another. And then like to reinforce it, he was there when Jesus said that. And to reinforce it, we come along and read what Jesus said. And under a command, not an option, not a suggestion, he says, listen, I give you a command that you are to love one another. And here's the deal. One, it's imperative if you're not a Jesus follower, that doesn't mean a whole lot. But if you are a person who has trusted Christ as your Savior, you're a disciple of Jesus, you're a Christ follower, guess what? Commands are commands. It's an imperative. He says, we are to do this, which implies another thing, something you don't believe. Love is a choice. See, too many of you fell in love with your husband. You fell in love with your wife. You said, well, I don't love him anymore. Well, according to the Word of God, not Reader's Digest, According to the word of God, not national inquirer, love is a choice. And just like you chose to fall in love, you can choose to fall back in love. So it's a command. So he says, a new command I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. How radical is that? So what John says is undergirded, it's strengthened with the very words of Jesus Christ. John says, you, you know, love one another. And Jesus, before that, had said, I give you a command that you love one another. And he goes a little bit further and he says, for love is of God. For love it says, God. Now, do you all know what DNA is? Okay, I don't. I just know this. That scientists tell me that, that that's what makes us up. It tells us how we are. You know, like my DNA said that I was like going to be like 5'8". And I guess my DNA changed because now I'm 5'7". I don't know. My DNA said that I was going to have hair and now I don't. You know, DNA kind of dictates. It's the kinetic thing that, that tells how you are and who you are. Well, well, God doesn't have DNA. I understand that. But if God had DNA, it would say Love. If, if God had DNA of who he is and what he is, it would say love. And guess what? We should love one another because God saved us and God lives within us. It's in our DNA. You know, my wife Judy, Judy y'all, y'all, you know Judy's family or my family could walk in here and like y'all would think they were a pulpit committee. Y'all have no clue who our families are. Your brother came last week. I looked back when I got finally close enough. My eyes are not as good as they used to be. I got close. I said, oh, that's Brent's brother. Because she's going, who's that back there at the table? I said, "Well, well, it's Brent's brother. That's who it is. Well, my family could walk in. Her family would walk in. And you wouldn't know them at all. And you really wouldn't know them for another reason. On Judy's side of the fence, particularly, you know, you would look at that family and you'd swear she's adopted. I mean, i mean, telling you, she's definitely the pick of the litter. Okay, but not only that, most of her family is like 300 pounds. Yeah, hello. You know, I thought, after I thought about that, I said, gee, I really took a risk marrying her. I mean, you could like, and you didn't, praise God. You know, you didn't. It's amazing. But you would not recognize her family. So you'd look and go, how do you know she's an Allen? How does she know that, that she belongs to Roy and Edith? Well, one way is obvious. If you ever saw um, her mama, she looks a whole lot like her mama. But all we have to do is go down and get a DNA test. And that DNA test would say that Roy and Edith got together and had a Judy. Even though she looks nothing like the rest of the family. That's the power of DNA. Now, here's the deal. If God's DNA is love, if he had a DNA, and it's love, that should be in us. We're his children. We should have the same DNA as our father. And the truth is, if we're born again, we do. We do. We do. So so this thing, this, this God is love, love is God thing, it's his DNA, it's who he is. And he passed it on to his children. In fact, he goes on and says this, everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Now, now time out, because can we just be honest here? We all know people that love really well. In fact, can I be very candid again? Often the world loves better than we do. Often the world loves better than we do. And they're not born again. They're not born again. So what does John mean here? In the context of 1 John... Okay? The love he's talking about has two particular, it's not just, it's not just feeding the poor. It's not, you see somebody hungry on the street and you give them five dollars. And it's not those kind of things, just that things. There are two particular characteristics that John's talking about when it says, everyone who loves is born of God and knows, knows God. There's two characteristics that only God's love has. And one is it's a love directed toward God. It's it's a love that a child has for a father. And only a born-again person can have that. You can't mimic it. You can't make it up. You can't manufacture it. But when you are born again, there's an innate love in you for the God of the universe. But there's one more thing that's more powerful than that. And that is the way we love people. The way we love people. Now, beyond, again, one thing I love about Dorisville is we minister to people's needs. We have a wonderful uh, benevolence ministry. Um, this week, we're going to give out 20 food baskets, a week's worth of groceries to 20 families, trying to say, hey, we love you in Jesus' name. But somewhere beyond that, and that somewhere beyond that is a love that cares about where that person spends eternity. That's the love of God. It's, you know, God's Word says in 2 Peter chapter 3, and verse number 9, I think it is, where, where Peter said, you know, these words, that God is not willing... God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. I mean, the love of God is so big, he looks down and sees the most, most awful person there is, the biggest sinner there is. And he looks at him and says, I'm not willing that you should perish, that you should come to repentance. You know, Paul said, I could wish myself a curse for my brethren. He said, I would be willing to separate myself from Christ if my brethren, the Jews, would come to know Christ. We are to have a love for people that, yes, shows the kindness, but we're not just—we're a social agency. We're a spiritual agency, and we use social things to convey the spiritual things, which is the gospel. Amen? Is this making sense? Is this, is this making sense? So, so when he says, listen, everyone who loves is born of God and knows God, he's talking about a love that, one, it's a child to a father love, vertically, But horizontally, it's a love that cares about their needs, but also cares about their soul. Big, big difference. And then he goes on verse number 8 and says this, He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Now, let me say that again. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Now, I think this is really big. Let me tell you why it's really big. Do you see what he didn't say? He who doesn't go to church... Does not love God. He who will not tithe does not love God. He who will not miss the Super Bowl and come to church does not love God. Did he say any of that? Nope. You know what he said? He who does not love does not know God. See, we put the emphasis on the wrong things. We we put emphasis on things really that, in the scope of eternity, probably are as big as we want to make them. No, no, no. This love, listen, listen, listen. I'm going to say something. I thought about it. I wrote it. I thought about it, thought about it, thought about it. I still believe it. Here it is. If we get this one thing right, the love of God, if we get this one thing right, the love of God, we will win the world. Not we can win the world. We will win the world. When we start loving like God loves, it becomes irresistible. You take it to Africa, it works. You take it to Central Asia, it works. You take it to Haiti, it works. You take it to Nicaragua, it works. You take it to Barnett Street, it works. You take it next door to your neighbor, it works. You take it down to a a, a pantry, a food pantry, it works. You go to school, students, you go to school, it works. You get a broken marriage, it works. You get a parent-child relationship that's broken, it works. If we get this love of God thing right, if we get this love of thing, God of thing right, we win the world. That's how important and how powerful this is. He who does not... Who's not love does not know God, for God is love that 's level one, and then he, he like he gets a shovel and he it makes us go just a little bit deeper. Look what he says in verse number nine. Now, in this, the love of God was manifested, in other words, other words, when God if God wanted to show his love, this is how he did it. you know. Again, in a marriage, sometimes you'll see a husband desiring to show his love for his wife, and he may wash the dishes, he may go shopping with her, you know, different things. And the wife may clean out the car with the husband, watch a football game with the husband. You know, how is love demonstrated? Well, John says, this is how God the Father showed his love toward us. Here's what it says. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us. Paul's Time out. Time out. If you're taking notes, when you see the word toward us, I want you to write down, he targeted us. He targeted us. This incredible, powerful force from the eternal God of the universe, his love, and he targeted Dave Bradford. He targeted Tiffany. He targeted Judy. He targeted Rita. With this incredible, it's such an intentional thing. He showed his love, and he targeted it toward his beloved man who needed a rescue, who needed a redemption, who needed a Savior. So he targeted us with that, and here's how he did it. That God has sent his only begotten son into the world. Whoa. Whoa. That is so big. He sent His only begotten Son. That is so massively intentional. Does anyone here wrestle with insignificance? Does anybody here ever say, you know, no one, I just don't think I matter? What if I were to tell you that you were part of this incredible plan that before the foundation of the world was laid, that God set in place in conjunction with His Son and the Holy Spirit, a plan in place to redeem you back into relationship with Him. How massively intentional. God just didn't send His Son to earth for no apparent reason. He intentionally sent Him, massively intentionally sent Him for the purpose of redeeming His beloved man who was hopelessly separated from Him. And he did it in such a way that no matter what you've got on your sin list today, no matter how long your sin list is, he did it in such a massively intentional way that you are redeemable. Redeemable. He sent his only begotten son into the world. And he just didn't send him here. It's not like he said, okay, Jesus, I want you to go down and live on earth for a while and let's just see what happens. He sent his son Jesus to die to die Maggie, for you Kim you know those people you're talking about in Spain he sent them to die for them and for you Dewey for you this massive intentional plan, he sent him he, Jesus left heaven to come into this world with the sole intention of dying for simple people like us that's love. That's a huge love. He goes on and says this. That we might live through Him. He dies, we live. He dies, we live. How incredible is that? Now Jesus, that was the Father speaking. Jesus kind of had His own way, really, of what His actions said, what He did. And 1 John 3.16, 1 John 3.16 This is how we have come to know love. John paints it again. He goes, okay, if you really want a clear picture of what love is, here it is. He laid down His life for us. He laid down His life for us. That's what love is. Now, I need to tell you something. This is really important. And if you're you're texting on your phone... Or if you're wondering what you're going to go for lunch, put that aside for a minute because you need to hear this. This is really important. Because you see, sometimes circumstances work to change our opinion of whether God loves us or not. Sometimes circumstances work to change our opinion if God loves us. He laid down, this is how he showed love. He laid down his life for us. And we're going to be tempted sometime in the future to say, yeah, but... Let me let me say something. In five years, I was going to say one year, but that would really scare you. But in five years, some of you would be dead. Someone's going to be attending your funeral in five years. In five years, someone you love is going to be dead. Within five years, people in this room and over the sound of my voice will hear the dreaded words: "You have cancer." In five years, some of you are going to be laid off from a job that you worked at for 20 years, and they're going to say, you're done. In five years, parents, some of your parents, your children are going to go in such a strange way, you never dreamed possible. In five years, many things can happen. Circumstances can happen that will make you doubt the love of God. Circumstances can make us doubt the love of God. And I've said this before, and I gladly say it again. While circumstances may cause me to doubt the love of God, the Savior on that old rugged cross forever proclaims the love of God. Let me say it again. Forever. How long? Listen, circumstances are timed. It may be one year. It may be tomorrow. We don't know. They're timed. But that cross and the Savior on the cross forever declares God's love for you. So if you get two years down the road and you go to the doctor and they say, we're sorry to tell you this, but we didn't find this, and you have stage four cancer and you've got six months to live, you need to decide today, what are you going to believe? The circumstances that declare you need to doubt God's love, or are you going to believe that rugged cross and that Savior that declares I love you forever? What's it going to be? This this is the importance of God's love. This is the importance of God's love. Because, you know, if we live in a perfect world, which we don't, bad things happen in this world. And when that thing comes into your life, if you're not prepared, it could drive you away from the God who loves you so much. But not if you focus on this. This is Forever. So Jesus said, I'll tell you how much I loved you. I left heaven for the express purpose of coming and laying down my life for you. But then you might be tempted to go, but Duane, see, that was a really bad deal. See, what what really happened back there 2,000 years ago, yeah, Jesus died. I got that. But see, the crowd got out of control. The crowd got out of control. Uh, He lost lost the control of the circumstances. Really? Listen to what Jesus said. Again, John 10, 17. Therefore, my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Because I'm here for a purpose. I'm here to die and I'm here to resurrect. And by the way, Satan, you've got no control over that. Hey, circumstances, you've got no control over that. My father loves me because I lay my life down, but I'm going to come to take it up again. Listen to this. Listen, listen. No one takes it from me. No one takes it from me. You know why? They couldn't. The Savior that you trusted sometime in your past for your salvation, who saved you and forgave you, the Savior that you love today is omnipotently powerful. No one... No one, there's two things you need to know. No one could take his life and no one could keep him in the grave. No one. I had the power to lay it down. No one takes my life. I lay it down myself. I willingly die on this cross. I had the power to lay it down and I have the power to take it up. I had the power to lay it down. I had the power to take it up. When the right time came on Calvary's cross... At the moment that that God the Father and the Son had dictated, He cried out, It is finished. And the Bible clearly says He yielded His Spirit. Not the lack of blood, not bad blood pressure, not a Roman nail, not a scourging. He yielded His life, He laid it down. And on that Sunday morning, that first Easter morning, I don't know what time it was, but up from the grave he arose. And no stone, no guard, no Roman soldiers could keep that from happening. That's the power. That's the power of God's love. That's why we've got to grasp that. And that is the good news that the people in Spain, the people in Uganda, the people in Barnett Street, your neighbor, and the people here today listening on the broadcast in this room need to know, understand, and hear. Jesus said, I laid my life down. It was not an accident. It wasn't a plan gone bad. It was the deal. It was the plan. And I had power to lay my life down and power to pick it back up again. And now that last deep level, the really deep level, this is is incredible. In verse number 10, he says this, and this is love. This is love, he says again not that we loved God it's not, it's not like you know we're all clamoring for God going oh God send Jesus we need a savior oh God we love you no nada nope ain't gonna happen in fact Romans chapter 3 says this there's no one righteous not even one it goes on and says there's none who understands there's no one who seeks God there is all have turned away all alike have become useless there is no one who do, does what is good no not one now we weren't clamoring for God in fact I remind you the folks that, that he was dying for were mocking him the ones he died for were making fun of him it's not like they go oh man wow we were wrong hey Jesus we're sorry no. Here's love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us. Wow. How about that? But God demonstrated His love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, while we were still hollering at the foot of the cross, kill Him! The Bible said he died for us. Is that not powerful? God demonstrated His love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, this kind of love, one I'm fixing to say is very important. This kind of love is a one-way street. It was not a two-way street. It's not that we love God that God loved us we didn't love him we discounted him totally but it was a one way street and he loved us and this kind of love is a one way street if you're a believer today and the Bible says that the fruit of the Spirit is love so you've got this agape love in you and, and you know, you're born of God, you've got this, this DNA, this God's love in you, then we're to love as God loves and God loves like it's a one-way street, not a two-way street. Are you following me yet? Let me help you. Some of you divorced your husband or your wife for this reason. You said I loved him, but he didn't love me. I loved her, but she didn't love me. And you believed love was a two-way street. You believed that love was a two-way street. And if love is going to happen, it's got to be a two-way street thing. If you extend love, then you have the right to expect love. That's true in the world. But guess what is not true in? God's love some of you here today have abandoned a child adult child not a 3 year old but you do you have a relation, a broken relationship today some of you have a broken relationship with a parent because that parent mistreated you somewhere along your life didn't do what you thought and parents you that child did not perform as you thought and you've abandoned them you know why Because you thought love was a two-way street. Love's a one-way street. Because we love like God loved. And even though we didn't love Him, He loved us. Some of you have withdrawn fellowship. Some of you today, there's a brother or sister in this building. You would not speak to them if you passed them in the hallway. You know why? Why? Because you thought love was a two-way street. We Baptists like to think, well, we can't fellowship with them over there because they're not like us. Really? You know why we say that? Because we think love is a two-way street. You've got a neighbor that you won't speak to because their dog got in your garbage for the 47th time and you think love is a two-way street. It's not, friends. It's a one-way street. You see why I said... We get this one right, and we will win the world. What if we started loving without expectations? What if we started loving like God loved? And you remember? He commanded it. Love one another. Wow. But it gets bigger. How are we doing on time? We're doing good. But that He loved us, and He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. I know it's a big word. It only occurs like twice in the whole New Testament. Here's the, and Again, I wouldn't even try to pronounce the Greek word. Because I don't do Greek very well. But it means this. That when Jesus went to the cross. He paid the price for our sins. The wages of sin is what? Death. The wages of sin is death. So when he was nailed to that Roman cross and shed his blood, he died so we didn't have to die. He paid the price. And the other side of propitiation is this Greek word is that he also took the wrath. In other words, God's wrath will be poured out on every person who rejects forgiveness in Jesus Christ. It's the payment for sin. It's not that he's a mean God. He's not. He's a holy God. He's a just God, but he's a fair God. And and God's wrath is going to be poured out on all those who reject Jesus Christ, as well as Satan and the false prophet. So what happened here is Jesus paid the price for my sin, but he also took the wrath of God, so I never would have to. I love it where Paul wrote and said, we are not appointed to wrath. You know, why we're, you know why we're not appointed to wrath? Because he was. And when we choose to receive this wonderful gift of forgiveness by God's grace, not that we deserve it, when we choose this wonderful love gift, even though we did not deserve it, then the price is paid for us individually. And the wrath is taken for us. Is there any greater love? Is there any greater love? See, and that, and that really helps us because we go, God, you understand, they treated me really bad. My husband, my wife. Yeah, but they say, you know what, probably, it probably wasn't as bad as what he went through. You know what, if we'll take a... Can we take this away today? Can we tuck it away in our heart? Love is not a two-way street. It's a one-way street. And God loves us that way. Finally, this. Verse 11. So, beloved, once we've experienced love, because we've experienced this love, beloved, if God so loved us, and He did and He does, He did and He does. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. It's a strong ought. We already heard from Jesus. We're compelled. We're commanded to. If God so loved us, how can we not but love others in the same way? How can we not express this DNA that lives within us? Let me close with this. This is why there's like, there's like a dozen reasons why what I've tried to teach today is important. But I think this is probably one of the best ones. It's the verse following that where Jesus said, I command you to love one another. Here's the verse that follows. Verse 35 in John 13. By this, all will know that you are my disciples. By this, all will know that you're my disciples, if you have love one for another. The world out there will know we are Christ followers, not by the way we dress, not by how we go to church, but by our love one for another. This is, I've said these words before, this is so otherworldly. That's why it's such an intention getter for a lost person. They go, I've not seen this before. Tell me about it. I looked up Revelation 2015 and read it again. I taught it sometime this past year, and it says these words If anyone, I'm sorry, anyone who was not found written in the Lamb's Book of Life was cast in a lake of fire, burning with sulfur forever and ever. There's a lot of any ones in this world. Some of them live next door to you. Some of them you know through golf associations. Um, you know it through school students. You know, the guy that you can't stand in high school faith, if he's lost, he's like going to burn forever in hell. He's in an anyone. Anyone. And the best hope of anyone's receiving Christ is to see this incredible love, not our religion. There's no power in religion. There's no power in rule keeping. But there's power in love. And they go, I do not know what this is, but I've got to find out. I've got to know. That's how important it is. Get this one right, and we win the world. Get this one right, and we save a marriage. Get this one right. And restore a broken relationship between a parent and a child. Get this one right, and we restore fellowship and become a stronger force for the kingdom of God. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, thank you for the privilege of sharing this truth today. And, Holy Spirit, I am boldly asking. In the name of Jesus, for you to seal truth in our hearts. Literally, Father, this is a huge game changer for all of us who know Christ. I pray, and we know, by the way, we know we can't do this, but it's in us. It's in us. It's a release thing. Because when we receive the Holy Spirit at our conversion, this love lives within us. It is a choice, yes. And we know we may have to grow into it. You may deliver us instantly, but we may need to grow into it. But may the words that you've spoken into our hearts, not my words, but your words, that you've spoken in the hearts of people, would you, through the Holy Spirit, bring them into our memory when it's so essential and necessary. When we're hurt, when we're wounded, when we feel so in love. I pray the Linda Laneys in our lives whatever blocks us from understanding this love will be removed will be taken away and God can I just lastly pray for all the anyone, pray for all the any ones, whether it be in the hallways of the schools on the golf course down in the mine here at church Uganda Nicaragua, Haiti Spain wherever they might be. Oh God, we pray for the redemption. And may we be a force to be reckoned with through the Holy Spirit and through the power of your love. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen.